IndyCar fans, it's time to start your engines. Welcome to Pit Pass Indy, a production of Evergreen Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Martin, a journalist who regularly covers the NTT IndyCar series. Our goal at Pit Pass Indy is to give racing fans an insider's view of the exciting world of the NTT IndyCar series in a fast-paced podcast featuring interviews with the biggest names in the sport. I bring nearly 40 years of experience covering IndyCar and NASCAR, working for such media brands as NBCSports.com, SI.com, ESPN Sports Ticker, Sports Illustrated, Auto Week, and Speed Sport. So let's drop the green flag on this episode of Pit Pass Indy. It was a wild time on the streets of Nashville, and I emphasize the word wild in Sunday's Big Machine Music City Grand Prix. We will get to all of that later in the show, including a two-part interview with race winner Marcus Erickson, and later a look ahead to this week's Big Machine Spiked Coolers Grand Prix at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Road Course. But first, auto racing lost the man who was the voice of the sport during its boom in the 1980s through the 2000s as Bob Jenkins lost his battle to brain cancer on August 9. He was 73. Bob Jenkins may not have been the first voice of auto racing on television, but it was his voice that introduced the sport to the masses as a weekly television product. It was in the early days of ESPN when Jenkins, along with Larry Newber, were the voices race fans waited to hear all week. ESPN had just started as a -a 24-hour-a-day cable channel with an acronym that stood for Entertainment and Sports Programming Network in 1979. Only problem was, outside of some college football and college basketball telecast, the cable network did not have the rights to televise much else. Much of its lineup in the early days included a hefty dose of Australian rules football, tennis tournaments, and softball. Meantime, NASCAR and IndyCar races were seldom on live television. ABC televised the Indianapolis 500 on same-day tape delay, and from the early 1960s to 1978, the Daytona 500 was part of wide world of sports. Both CBS and NBC infrequently showed a few races a season, even after CBS was the first to show live flag-to-flag coverage of the Daytona 500 beginning in 1979. The voices of auto racing at that time were Jim McKay, Jackie Stewart, and Chris Economaki on ABC, Ken Squire and David Hobbs on CBS, and Charlie Jones and later Paul Page on NBC. ESPN saw potential in televising auto racing on a weekly basis, particularly NASCAR, CART, and USAC. When the first auto race appeared on ESPN, it was Bob Jenkins and Larry Newber in the booth. Throughout the 1980s, Jenkins and Newber were the John Hall and Daryl Oates of auto racing, an inseparable duo that televised NASCAR, USAC, and CART. Later, as NASCAR races in the 1980s and 1990s boomed in popularity, Newber was replaced by Benny Parsons and Ned Jarrett. When Jenkins called a kart race in the 1980s and early 1990s, he was often paired with Derek Daly and later with Larry Rice. It was USAC's Thursday Night Thunder and Saturday Night Thunder, 
a weekly series that featured USAC Sprint and Midget Series and ESPN's Speed Week and Speed World that established Jenkins as the voice of auto racing from the 1980s until he retired from television as the voice of IndyCar races on Versus, NBC Sports Network in 2012. The Indiana University graduate began his career as a news reporter at Indiana stations in Fort Wayne and Valparaiso before landing a job at WIRE Radio in Indianapolis as a co-anchor of a nationally syndicated farm news show called Ag Day. Although Jenkins' voice was the soundtrack of NASCAR during its booming glory days of the 1980s and 1990s before ESPN and ABC lost the television contract to Fox and NBC beginning in 2001, the Liberty, Indiana native was actually an IndyCar fan at heart. He attended his first Indianapolis 500 in 1960 and missed all but two, 1961 and 1965, throughout his life. He joined the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Radio Network in 1979 as backstretch announcer, and when the anchor of the Indianapolis 500 at that time, Paul Page, moved over to become lead announcer for ABC's Indy 500 telecast in 1988, Lou Palmer took over for two years before Jenkins became chief announcer from 1990 to 1998. After his television career came to an end, Jenkins' voice could be heard over the Indianapolis Motor Speedway public address system from 2012 to 2020. Famed motorsports journalist Robin Miller recalled the early days of Jenkins' career when the 73-year-old Jenkins was awarded with the Robin Miller Award on Carb Day at this year's Indianapolis 500. As Robin Miller is quoted as saying, the first time I heard Bob Jenkins' voice, he was giving the farm market update on radio station WIRE at 12 noon. He had a very distinctive voice, but I didn't care about the hog prices, so I just went on. Paul Page and Terry Langner were two of the biggest people in Bob's life. Paul knew Bob's passion for racing, so he tried to get him a job as a backstretch reporter on the IMS radio network. That was the first time I heard Bob's voice on the radio's racing guy. In 1980, I was trying to kill myself driving USAC midgets, and we went to Whitewater Speedway. Larry Rice and I were unloading my car. Here comes Bob and Larry Newber and a guy that had a camera that said ESPN on it. He said, there's this new network that started up and they're going to start doing some USAC midgets and sprint car races and things like that. I don't know if this will ever air, but at least we'll have something in the can. We're driving home that night and Rice asked me, what do you think of that channel? I said, are you kidding me? That channel doesn't have a shot. A 24-hour sports channel? Come on. Miller really missed the mark on that one, but also told of how Jenkins, along with Benny Parsons, became the voices of NASCAR in ESPN's glory days, and NASCAR's success skyrocketed. Later on, ESPN's Speed Week, Jenkins' credibility continued to rise. Another quote from Robin Miller. As time progressed, he got more and more comfortable, and he knew IndyCar was his favorite, and he did the best at it, Miller said. I don't know that there is anybody that has more respect than Bob Jenkins. 
when you put the talent together and combine it, that he is so humble, so personable, and so likable, it should be probably the Bob Jenkins Award. Jenkins passed away on August 9th after battling brain cancer. He came down with a severe headache on Christmas night, and doctors discovered two malignant tumors. On carb day, Jenkins told me in a hushed voice that he had difficulty speaking because of the cancer, but his quote was, I'm going to beat this thing. Mark my words, I am going to beat this. Despite his best efforts, however, Jenkins lost his battle to cancer and auto racing lost its soundtrack to an age when auto racing as a weekly television program was introduced to the masses and became a mainstream sport. And now, a look back at the Big Machine Music City Grand Prix. From an event standpoint, the Music City Grand Prix on the streets of Nashville was an incredible success, with sellout crowds that included enthusiastic and knowledgeable race fans, concerts that lasted well into the night featuring some very big names in the music industry, and a party atmosphere that seemingly lasted 24 hours a day. It was a weekend filled with memories. However, the NTT IndyCar Series race on Sunday evening is one that many in the series would like to forget. With the exception of a delay in constructing one of the grandstands that was not completed until Sunday, some of the concerts that fans thought were shorter than advertised, Nashville Mayor John Cooper and the ownership group that includes Scott Borchetta and Justin Marks had a lot to be proud of. Unfortunately, much of the 81-lap IndyCar race was a bit of an embarrassment. There were nine cautions for 33 laps and two red flags that stopped the race for a combined 30 minutes. The driver that caused one of the early cautions, Marcus Erickson, actually went on to win the race. The driver with the fastest car in the field, pole winner Colton Herta, stuffed his Honda in the wall just five laps from the finish as he was frantically trying to pass Erickson's Honda for the victory. IndyCar officials threw the red flag in order to clean up the track, fix the retaining barrier, and ensure a two-lap dash to the checkered flag that featured two Ganassi teammates, one trying to save fuel in Ericsson, and the other who had the same set of Firestone tires on his car for over 50 laps in Scott Dixon. The first red flag came on lap 20 in a crash that looked like it was straight out of the 1979 motion picture The Blues Brothers. Instead of the Chicago police and the Illinois State Police piling their cars in a toy box-like mess, this pileup included some of the best drivers in IndyCar, including Team Penske teammates Will Power and Simon Pagano, both former champions and Indianapolis 500 winners. With the track completely blocked, there was no choice but to stop the race and clean up the mess. During the red flag, Jimmy Johnson's team at Chip Ganassi Racing plugged in the air jacks to lift Johnson's Honda off the ground to assess an electrical issue. That's against IndyCar rules to work on a race car during a red flag, and Johnson's number 48 was disqualified for the remainder of the race. That's certainly a rule that Johnson's team should have known about. If that wasn't enough, there was an extended caution after Dalton Collette and Scott McLaughlin were involved in a crash that was triggered when Power contacted McLaughlin on lap 41. 
The reason the caution lasted until lap 51? A flood of water was pouring across the track, presumably from one of the many temporary suites and concession areas that surrounded the 11-turn, 2.17-mile street course that included the 1,660-foot Korean War Veterans Memorial Bridge crossing over the Cumberland River. With all the delays, crashes, yellow flags, and unbelievable turn of events, the sun began to set and the race course began to darken. Without lights, it was impressive this race ever made it to the scheduled 80-lap distance. The entire event was a success, but the race was far from a showcase for IndyCar's talent. Erickson won the race despite running over the back of Sebastian Bourdais on lap five and going airborne at least six feet off the ground. Despite the damage to his car, a stop-and-go penalty for causing the crash, and making five pit stops throughout the event, the driver from Sweden remarkably took the checkered flag. Erickson explains how... It all happened in this interview after the race in the first of a two-part interview I have with Marcus Erickson of Chip Ganassi Racing. Joining us now is the winner of the Big Machine Music City Grand Prix. It's Marcus Erickson of Chip Ganassi Racing. Marcus, I'm going to start calling you Air Erickson because you <laughs> went from flying airborne on lap five in a crash to coming back and winning the inaugural street race on the streets of Nashville. How did you do it? Yeah, that's what I'm trying to figure out. <laughs> I don't know, man. It was uh, such a crazy race. And then when I was up there seeing the sky flying in there, I was thinking that this is game over. I thought my race was, was over there. And to, to sort of fight back and, you know, I had a drive through, uh, stop and go. We had to repair the car. It was so many things going wrong there in the beginning. So to stand there a couple of hours later, Winning the race is just unbelievable. And I believe you, you made five pit stops throughout <laughs> the race. When you make that many pit stops, how were you able to get in a position to where you were able to hang on at the end and defeat? First, you had to outrun Colton Herta, and then later hold on your teammate, Scott Dixon. Yeah, I think, I think what happened today was a true team effort. You know, the team did a great job with the strategy to get us back uh, in the game after that incident in the beginning and then the pit stops were great from the from the crew and the race car was super fast so it was a combination of those things and then i think i was able to overtake guys when i needed and and be fast when i needed to make us be able to jump all these people throughout the race and get us in a position to be able to fight for the win and then like you said to be able to you know to hold on the position to Colton was one of the biggest challenges of my career because he's been the fastest guy all weekend. I had to hit a big fuel number to get us to the end and to hit, have him in my mirrors for so long. It was, was really, really tough, very difficult, but I'm very proud I could keep him behind. Was it the pit stop on lap 32 where the team committed to the fuel strategy that you ultimately finished the race on on lap 60? Yeah, I believe so. I believe so. Uh, I need to go back and look back to see all the things that happened because there was so many things happening. But the team was spot on on the strategy today, and that's one of the big, big reasons why we won. And there was also another point where when the fuel strategy had changed, where Colton Herta 
because the, the pace car was going so slow to avoid Renus VK's stalled car that it basically almost gave Colton Herta a free pit stop to be able to get in. And he nearly blended in right behind you. Ended up he had to go back to third or fourth place. But how important was that? Were you aware that Colton Herta was that close to you? No, I was not. But I knew that the blend line was just before turn one. So I, I always try to be as close as possible to the safety car. But like you said, he had to slow up because of Reno's car there in turn one. So it was really tight, but it was obviously crucial for us that we stayed ahead. Now, going all the way back to the crash on lap five, if you could describe it and also just how hard the impact was when he ran into the back of Sebastian Bourdais and how high you got off the ground, what it felt like when you landed. Yeah, first of all, I'm, I'm really sorry for Seb. You know, I, I hate to see him go out of the race like that, and it was my mistake. Um, so I feel really sorry for him. Uh, Basically, we came out of that uh, turn 10 and, and the cars ahead of me started to accelerate and I thought it was, you know, everyone was starting to accelerate. So I went on the, on, the, on the throttle and as soon as I went on the throttle, I was riding Seb's gearbox. I think someone ahead of him braked and Seb braked and I just didn't have time to react. And I, before I knew it, I was in the air and I don't know how high it was. I haven't seen the pictures or, or footage of it, but it felt like we were pretty high in the air and then, you know, managed to keep it going. Uh, it was quite tough though, because going around the lap with the front wing hanging, uh, it was really tough and it came underneath my car at one point and I went into the wall <laughs> and tried to keep it going. So it was, uh, it was not easy. At that point, did you think that the race was pretty much over? I was at that point throughout that lap when I hit the wall, I thought I was gonna have to park it. So I was like a second from parking the car basically. And uh, yeah, that just makes it even more crazy. I think there was little doubt that the fastest car in the race, entering the race throughout qualifications, practice, and even in the early stages of the race was Colton Herta, but he'd gotten shuffled back and then he started to drive with some element of anger to get his way up and then all of a sudden you look in your side view mirror and he's behind you. How tough was it to hold off Colton Herta at that standpoint and still save fuel. It was one of the toughest challenges of my career. And, and like you said, the, the, it was one thing to just keep him behind, but another thing to just do it with a big fuel number and a big fuel save. So I definitely had to use all my experience that I've built over my career and had to be clever to be slow enough in, in the corners he couldn't overtake and quick enough on the places where he could overtake. So I was really, really happy with that. And I think it was one of my best performances of, of my career. And then with five laps to go, he ends up stuffing it under the wall. What went through your mind at that point? Because now you've got some hard chargers behind you, including Scott Dixon, but he was on 50 lap old tires. Yeah, I mean, when that happened, I think that just shows how much he was pushing to try and get that victory. So uh, he was definitely pushing it to the to the maximum and I feel bad for him, you know, he deserved to be up on that podium uh, today. But yeah, it just shows how much he was trying. And, and then, like you say, to, to restart with Scott Dixon, the best of the best, was, was not easy, but I knew he was not going to do anything stupid. So I just tried to focus on myself and, and just do clean restart in the last couple of laps. It was a two-lap shootout with Scott Dixon. Did you just pretty much focus on looking ahead rather than looking in your side view mirrors? Because, as you said, it was your teammate. It was Scott Dixon. And you know that he's going to race you clean. Yeah, exactly. That was exactly my, my thinking. I was just focusing on making a good restart and then just focusing ahead. And I knew if I didn't do any mistakes he was not going to be able to get by me, so that was my focus. Now you've got two victories. There are only two other drivers in the series that have two wins. Your teammate Alex Polo, also Pato Award of Aero McLaren SP Racing. A multiple winner 
You hadn't won an IndyCar race until Detroit in June. Now you're a multiple winner. How does that feel? It feels great. You know, it feels great to be in the victory lane again. And, and since the Indy 500, we are the biggest point scorer of the field. So we're definitely on form at the moment. And we need to keep that going because we are top five in the championship, getting closer to the front guys. And if we keep doing like we've been doing the last month or so, we're going to be in the hunt. So I'm really excited and looking forward to next weekend. You can call him Air Erickson because he's the only driver I've seen that's gone airborne and then go on to win an IndyCar race. Congratulations on your victory in the inaugural Big Machine Music City Grand Prix. And I believe you're going to be back on the show a little bit later in another segment to preview next week's race at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Road Course. But congratulations on your big victory. Thank you so much. In the second part of our interview with Marcus Erickson, the driver from Chip Ganassi Racing looks ahead to this weekend's Big Machine Spiked Coolers Grand Prix on the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Road Course. Joining us now on Pit Pass Indy is Marcus Erickson, driver of the number eight Husky Chocolate Honda at Chip Ganassi Racing. Five races left in the season. We're heading to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway road course for the second time this season. What's your outlook going into that race? Maybe picking up a few more points. Yeah, I think, you know, we're, we're having a strong season so far, uh, running well up in the championship. And obviously, as a team, we, we've been really doing a good job uh, getting all cars up there and uh, me personally I want to build on that and keep keep going strong now for the end of the year I think we, we have some some good speeds and in, in all types of tracks I think the Indy road course race earlier in the year maybe wasn't our best one so we've done some some work some homework to try and improve that and have a better package this time so we're confident we have found some things there so we're going into to this weekend's race with with high expectations and you know when i when i have a good uh, solid weekend what is it about the road course at the indianapolis motor speedway that suits your driving style so well i don't know i think you know that track has a bit of everything and it's usually uh, some tire uh, management included, which I like, and uh, some technical bit with the chicane there in the middle, uh, which I enjoy as well. So I think it's a fun racetrack and obviously a track that everyone in this series knows very well. So it's usually very tight margins, but uh, yeah, I always enjoy racing there. The fact that you go there twice, this time it'll be with NASCAR Xfinity the same day as IndyCar, and then the next day for the first time ever, NASCAR Cup will be on the road course there. It's a pretty unique weekend. What do you think of it? I think it's amazing. You know, we we, we need to try and grow the sport as much as possible and putting the two biggest uh, series at the same weekend, I think it's, uh, it's a great uh, thing to do. And, and to do it in Indianapolis is even better. So I hope, I really hope all the fans comes out and, and, and watch uh, all the great racing that we put on offer this weekend. And, and I think us drivers, you know, we're going to do everything to put on a great show. In years past, you could go out and root for the Chip Ganassi NASCAR team. This will be the last year you get a chance to do that because he sold his team to Trackhouse Racing beginning next season. Justin Marks is going to be the team owner. So in a lot of ways, this is kind of Chip's last hurrah to win a NASCAR race at Indianapolis. What do you think of the way that's going to be this year? Yeah, that'll be pretty special. But I'm sure uh, I'm sure they're going to be going to be fast, and then yeah, I'm I'm going to try and be there and support on on Sunday. That would be really cool. As far as your development this year with the team, how would you gauge it? You won a race, your first career race at Detroit. 
you've been in contention for several other races. It really looks like you've picked up your game. Yeah, 100%. I think, you know, it's it's a tough series to come into uh, after being in Europe and, and racing in Formula One. It's IndyCar is very different and uh, the level of competition these days is, is very, very high. So it's definitely taken me a bit of time, maybe a bit longer than I wanted it. But uh, ever since I came to Chip Ganassi Racing, you know, we've been working really hard on the on the eight car team. We've made some great improvements. And me and my engineer, Brad Goldberg, been working very hard and have a really good relationship. And I think that's starting to pay off now. You know, all that work that we put in for the last year and a half is, is finally starting to pay off. And that's what we're showing now. So you just got to keep that going and, and keep uh, having a strong strong end to the year and, and, and show that we can be up there and compete every weekend. You've got a couple of teammates fighting it out for the championship. Alex Pelot, Scott Dixon, you're not too far back. What point does it become every man for himself at Chip Ganassi Racing? I think we, we are a great team that we, you know, we work together and try and help each other as much as possible. But, uh, but of course, we, we all want to win. That's, uh, that's natural. So... We, we've said that, you know, we, we need to take every race as it comes. And then uh, later in, in September, when we go to the West Coast, maybe we have to start looking at, uh, at the championship a bit more. But for now, I think we need to try and maximize every weekend. And, and the more Ganassi cars we can have up front, the better, the better it, is, it, it is because we take points from our competitors. After Indianapolis, it's the final oval race of the season at Gateway. It's been quite a while since we've run on a short oval in IndyCar. What's your outlook for that, and how fun is it going to be to get back out there and have one more Saturday night race under the lights? Yeah, so I, I probably my favorite type of racing in, in IndyCar is short ovals, so I can't wait to get to Gateway. I think it's a super cool event. They, they put on a great show there. It's a lot of fans usually, and you know to race under the lights as well is always very special. So, yeah, I, I, I love the short ovals, and I've said for a while that I'm, I'm going to have a big result on an oval soon, and, and I think it's about time now, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. After that, it'll be a couple of weeks off, and then you're going to resume with another three-race stretch beginning at Portland. Chip Ganassi Racing tested out there at the end of July. What did you learn from that test? I think for me, it was important to get there because I missed that race in 2019, so I, I didn't know the track, so it was uh, important to get some some laps there so i feel really up to speed with the with the racetrack uh, and then i think as a team you know that's a good thing we're having four cars we can work together we can try different things within within the team you know different cars try different things and we can sort of take take away all the best that we find over a day like that so i think we found some interesting stuff some good directions for when we get there in in september you're a former Formula One driver. The next race after that will be at a really world-class road racing facility. WeatherTech Raceway at Laguna. How much fun is it to drive that track, especially with the corkscrew? Yeah, it's one of the best of the calendar, no doubt about that. And it has so much history as well. So it's always special to get there and, and to drive that track in an IndyCar is, uh, is something that, um, yeah, it's always very special. So I can't wait to, to get there in September and, and, and have a good uh, weekend there. And then wrapping up the season, it'll be the... Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach, one of the highlights of the season. Didn't get to have it last year because of COVID-19. How cool is it going to be to finish the season on the streets of Long Beach? It's going to be amazing. Like you say, it's one of the most legendary and best races of the season for us. And uh, and to finish off the season there, it's going to be, I, I think, a great way to, sh to finish the season. It's going to be uh, a great event and hopefully a lot of fans and, and a championship that's going down to the wire there. So, yeah, it's, uh, it couldn't be much better than that. When you've looked at what you've been able to do this season in Chip Ganassi Racing, how I don't want to say you're satisfied. A driver's never satisfied unless they go 16 and 0. 
but how much improvement do you see that you've made in IndyCar this year? I think it's been it's been great to see. Obviously, you believe in yourself, and, and I know I can compete at this level, but it's also great to see the results starts coming. And uh, I've said for a while now that my race craft and race pace has been one of the best in the field, but I've been struggling a bit in qualifying. But this year, I've been starting to pick up my qualifying pace as well, and that's been helping me making good results. So you just got to keep that going, keep working hard, and like I say, not be satisfied. Just keep working, keep want to be better, and, and we should be able to be up there and compete for wins for, for a long time. Marcus Erickson, driver of the number eight Husky Chocolate Honda Chip Ganassi Racing. Good luck for the rest of the season. Thank you for joining us today on Pit Pass Indy. Thank you. In the world of racing, Penske means performance and winning. For good reason. Since 1966, Team Penske has won 44 national championships, 17 in IndyCar alone. And last year, Team Penske claimed its Indianapolis 500 record-extending 19th Indy 500 win with Joseph Newgarden, the latest driver, to win the famed race. Team Penske also won its second straight NASCAR Cup Series championship. In 2022, Penske was the first team in history to win both the IndyCar and the NASCAR Cup Series championships in the same season. Team Penske enters the 2024 NTT IndyCar Series season with 236 IndyCar wins, including 34 500-mile race victories. Those are results that are tough to top. But Penske's legendary reputation for quality and attention to detail makes a statement off the track, too. When you need a truck, whether for your business or for a household move, Penske Truck Rental has some of the cleanest, newest, and best-maintained vehicles on the road. And we make it easy with personalized support from our associates, flexible reservations, and access to the top technology. With quick pickup and drop-off at more than 2,500 locations across North America, our scale and know-how will keep you covered, all helping to ensure you get the right, reliable, fuel-efficient vehicle when and where you need it. On the highways, the raceways, and every pit stop in between, Penske keeps you moving forward. Gain ground with Penske. Get a quote today at PenskeTruckRental.com or for household rentals, download the Penske Truck Rental mobile app today. Six-time NTT IndyCar Series champion Scott Dixon finished second to Erickson Sunday night at Nashville, and that has brought him even closer to a record-tying seventh IndyCar Series championship. Dixon entered the race third in points, 56 out of the lead. He moved up to second in points, 42 points behind his teammate Alex Pelot. Here's my interview with Dixon as we look ahead to the final five races of the season. Joining us now on Pit Pass Indy is the champion, make that six-time champion, Scott Dixon, Chip Ganassi Racing. Five races left in the season, beginning with a return trip to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway road course. How do you look at it? 
Yeah, looking forward to it. You know, it's, um, it, you know, that's that can be a love-hate situation. You know, we've had great results there and, and some pretty tough ones. And I'd say, you know, last uh, last one there was a bit rough and just general speed. But, um, you know, we'll do our best to, to turn that around. I think we've had some, uh, some good tracks and some good tests before before we get here uh, to make sure that, you know, we can try and do a better job of it. But uh, I think it always races well. You know, maybe we'll get some rain. We'll have to see where it goes. You're a former winner there. And I know that when you won that race last year, you hit the yellow strategy just perfect. Do you see with the track length, uh, the race, the length of the laps, that a similar situation is likely to happen? Or have they improved that a little bit by adjusting the length of the race? Uh, I think it's kind of similar to the first one we had this year, uh, which which should be pretty close on. I think you can you can definitely do both strategies um you know the heat i think definitely plays a different you know uh toll on it it could be very hot or you know that time of year too it could could get some rain you know so i think a lot of that depends on track conditions as well um so yeah you know i i think uh, as always you know the indycar races can can throw anything at you uh but i think that one this year they had they had a pretty good race length on it this will be the first time that indycar and nascar runs all three races on the brickyard weekend on the road course last year, IndyCar and NASCAR Xfinity ran on the road course. The Cup cars ran on the oval. This year, all of them running on the road course. Do you think that everybody's going to really be in for a show in all three races? Yeah, I think it's pretty cool, and and it'll be interesting to see. You know, last year the paddocks were very separate. I think even we had to leave before Cup came in. You know, so there was no crossover whatsoever. I don't know schedule-wise whether we go on track and then they're on track. You know, so you can see a bit of uh, their event as well. Uh, but no, I think uh, you know honestly for me, then the Cup races that are done on road courses are their best races of the year. So uh, looking forward to that. I think it's going to be big for Indianapolis. Um, just you know. Because you can see everything from the grandstands at, at that place uh, should make for, for a really good race for everybody. So, yeah, looking forward to, to that layout and, and obviously all three you know series are running over that weekend. Plus, you've got a lot of friends that are in NASCAR and this is a chance for you to, to get together and visit with them. I know you come to Daytona sometimes for the Daytona 500. What's it like when you're able to experience that camaraderie with drivers from other race series? Yeah, it gets hard um, with the series. You know, they kind of lock everybody out of crossover. So we'll have to see how this one plays out. And, you know, with uh, COVID, you never really know what direction that's going to go. And, and, you know, racing on separate days can can uh, change that. And unfortunately with COVID too, once a race is done, everybody gets back home. So um, it is a home race for us. But, you know, I know the, the cup guys will be getting out as quick as possible. So we'll see how it goes. Hopefully we can catch up with some friends. It's always good to, uh, to see fellow uh, competitors and, and other guys in different series. So... Uh, we'll see how that rolls. This is the last time your team owner, Chip Ganassi, will have a chance to win a NASCAR race at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. So how unique is that going to be, the fact that he sold the team to Trackhouse Racing, that you know, this is his final go-round in a NASCAR uh, team owner in Indianapolis. Yeah, definitely, you know, I'm sure uh, emotional for Chip and, you know, uh, interesting times for, for a lot of people. But, you know, um, you know, things change, right? And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm uh, excited for Chip and obviously his future. And, and uh, yeah, you know, the only thing you can hope for is that you hope that he does win, you know, uh, that race would be pretty pretty big milestone. Seeing he had won the Brickyard previously with, with uh, you know, his team there. Um, you know, to do it on the road course would be pretty uh, spectacular as well. So, you know, my opinion, hopefully we can uh, both sweep, uh, you know, Saturday and Sunday. After Indianapolis, it's off the gateway, the last oval race of the season. 
it seems like it's been a while since IndyCar's been on an oval. And Indianapolis 500, as a matter of fact. How cool will it be to have one more race Saturday night under the lights on a short oval this season? Yeah, it'd be great. You know, I just uh, had done done media events for, for the St. Louis race, and, you know, that town is, is definitely right behind it. Um, you know, I think, it, uh, I think it's a 7 p.m. local time start, so, you know, looking forward to, to that one. And, and obviously, I think Indy cars are made to, to be racing under lights, so always spectacular. So um, I guess the biggest thing for me is I hope that we get more ovals on the schedule, uh, which I hear. Uh, you know, with the up- upcoming calendar, there's actually going to be some more ovals. So looking forward to, to that announcement. Hopefully that uh, that plays true. Another couple of weeks off, and then you wrap up the season with three straight races on the West Coast, beginning with Portland, then off to Laguna Seca, then wrapping up on the streets of Long Beach. That's a pretty action-packed three weeks at the end of the season. How do you how do you like that? Yeah, it's cool. You know, it's definitely a bit of a shake-up. Um, you know, for us, generally, Long Beach comes pretty early in the season. So excited to, to that, you know, for that to be the finale. Uh, obviously, that West Coast string uh, is a favorite for, for a lot of people. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for it. Uh, hopefully, we're in the hunt, you know, and, and at least the team hopefully is in the hunt as well for that championship, which, you know, as where we sit now, we should be, which, uh, you know, Alex is doing a great job leading the championship and, and uh, hopefully we can we can close in on a little of that and, uh, you know, make a, a good race at the end. What is it you like about Portland Raceway? Uh, you know, I love the area. It's a beautiful part of the world. Um, the track is, is uh, definitely pretty action-packed, you know. It's a, it's a lot of fun. It's a short, uh, short track, pretty narrow, um, but races really well. So, you know, uh, there's lots of, lots of great things to like about Portland. And, of course, everybody loves Laguna Seca. What is it you love the most about it? Uh, I think for a lot of people it's just, you know, they talk about the corkscrew and everything like that, but, you know, I think it's the, the history and the people that have raced there. So, you know, uh, definitely a tough circuit, especially now it's very low grip. Um, you know, very hard to, to get everything right uh, at that place and especially in qualifying. So, you know, uh, last year I really, really liked that there was kind of alternate lines. You could run a high line uh, a lot of the corners uh, to create some good racing. So uh, I see that playing true again this year and, and uh, last year provided a, a great race. And of course, wrapping up the season at the Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach. What a spectacular place to celebrate a championship. I'm sure you'd love to book out a few uh, fancy restaurants there in Southern California to, if you should celebrate a seventh IndyCar Series championship. Yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, it's a great uh, great event, always is, um, you know, and, and again, you know, because it is, uh, you know, the finale for the season is going to be a lot of fun and a different kind of take on it. You know, there's going to be a lot of emphasis on that race, um, you know, to, to make sure that you can get it right, especially if you're in that, that championship fight. So, you know, Long Beach is uh, a staple of, of uh, you know, the NTT can, IndyCar Series and, and one that, you know, no matter what time of the year it comes, you want to be winning that one. So uh, it's a big Honda race as well. We'll be doing as much as we can. Scott Dixon, one of the greats in NTT IndyCar Series history. Congratulations on uh, the season so far. Good luck in the championship. And thank you for joining us today on Pit Pass Indy. Oh, good, man. Thank you. Pato Award of Mexico has dropped from second in the standings to third after finishing 13th at Nashville. He is 48 points behind Pelot. Here's a conversation I had with Award as he talks about his championship battle. Joining us now on Pit Pass Indy is Pato Award of Aero McLaren SP Racing. Pato, it's been a great season for you, multiple victories. Not very many drivers in the series have won more than one race this season. What do you see as being one of the reasons for that? Yeah, man, it, we've had a great season going on so far. Um, 
you know, there's, uh, you know, there's, there's less to go than what we've done already in the championships. And, and we just, we need to keep our heads down. We need to keep pushing. We need to score as many points as we can, but ultimately try and score more than the, the guys that were fighting up in the championship. It's, it's, it's going to be tight up to, up to Long Beach. Uh, we're fighting some of the best teams in the history of IndyCar uh, with some of the best drivers that, you know, can be racing here. So just looking forward to it, man. Just exjo- enjoying the experience. Um, yeah. You've had an incredibly consistent season, uh, top finishes you think? most of the year, except for a race here and there. Yeah. But you've been pretty consistent other than that. How would you gauge your second season here? Yeah, man, I feel like we've been so strong whenever we've come out of the gate strong, but I feel like we've, we've really dropped the ball in areas where we haven't been strong and we just, we've been very weak. And I feel like that those have been very, very tough uh, weekends for us in terms of points and in terms of just scoring overall for the championship. Uh, we've taken some pretty big hits. The guys we're fighting haven't really had that really bad one or two results that we have. Uh, so we just need to we just need to not have any more of those. And I mean, we're we're in the fight, man. We're we're second in points and. We can do it. I mean, we're we're in the fight. What I was going to lead up to is you've had some consistency, but the guy on top seems to have had even more consistency. Yeah. Which explains why he may be on top. But when you look at a guy like Alex, how formidable of a foe do you see him being? I mean, he honestly, he's had a lot of luck. Um, He's... He's had a, a great year. He's done a great job. Uh, you know, him and his team have, have really been, you know, on top of it in every weekend that we go. Uh, but I haven't seen him get in an instance like we have where we'll get uh, screwed by a yellow, screwed by a red, yeah. and we really have to fight. Like, b- both, of, both of, or multiple of our, honestly, top five ending results have all been such hard results to get like we've been had to you know we've had to pass so many people to get there and it hasn't been handed to us uh so i think you know we'll we'll see you you can't really plan on what things are going to happen but uh we just need to keep our head down and we need to control the factors that we can control and do the best we can and just hope for the best Going back to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway road course for the second time this season, how well do you like that course, and how important is it to really do very well there? Ah, it's going to be very important to to get some good points there. We had a very bad race there in the beginning of the year. Uh, it's honestly not one of my favorites, um, but you know we race there twice a year, and we have to be fast there. Uh, we were in the beginning of the year. We need to change that. Hopefully, the things that we found in Portland will help us there. But I'm confident that we'll be we'll be better than what we were. And then after that, it is a the last oval race of the season at Gateway. It's been a while since IndyCar's been on an oval. Yeah. How much do you miss that? And how exciting is it to have a race on a Saturday night under the lights? Uh, it's going to be awesome. I had uh, two great races there last year. And um, hopefully I can go one place better and, and uh, sort of take what I wanted to take last last year from there, which is a win. That's followed by another couple of weeks that you'll be off, and then you, um, you wrap up the season three straight races on the West Coast. 
beginning with Portland. How do you like Portland Raceway? And, and also the fact that three races yeah. in a row is tough to begin with. That's awesome, man. I love it. That way. I, I love the intense schedule that IndyCar uh, brings to us. I think it's a challenge. Uh, but, I, but I love just back-to-back-to-back weekends. It, it lets you stay in the zone, stay in the groove, and just keep improving wherever it is, either pit stops, uh, out laps, in laps, qualifying race, etc. Um, I love Portland. I love Laguna and I love Long Beach. I, I think they're, they're great circuits, uh, very different circuits, um, but I don't think we'll have an issue. Anything in particular about Portland that sets it apart from other road courses? I just think it's so fast. It's a very narrow, fast circuit. Um, it's like a very, it's a proper old school permanent road course. Yeah. That's the best way I can explain it. It's just, it's very raw. There's not a little room for mistake. If you drop a wheel, you're most likely going to get sent into the wall. So it's kind of, it's kind of like treating it like a street course in a way. You don't have a wall, but you have very slippery grass that won't really do anything to stop you if you, <laughs> if you go off course. So it's just a very nice and flowing circuit. And then it's off to Laguna Seca. Very popular course. Yeah. It's like a roller coaster ride coming out of the course. It's awesome, screen. man. It's slippery. It's, uh, it's very rewarding when you get it right in a, in a lap. Um, I got to experience it in the beginning of the year in a test, and it didn't disappoint at all. And then wrapping up the season, one of the great races yeah, on mean, the schedule, the Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach. It's got to be a great place to finish a championship. Yeah, it's going to be mega. Uh, it's a great place to start this championship, but I think it's going to be even a better place to end the championship. Everybody there is very, uh, just very excited all the time. Uh, they, they, they love when IndyCar comes to Long Beach. And, you know, we're there to give a show. Uh, I don't think that race ever disappoints. And the championship is going to come down to the wire there. So hopefully we're in the fight to be able to make it happen. In wrapping up here with Pato Award, Errol McLaren, SP Racing. When you're second in the championship, you got a young guy that's leading it. And then you've got a six-time champion that's third. How much time do you spend looking ahead or looking in the rearview mirror? Because they're both. Yeah, I I spend all the look ahead. Um, You know, I can't control what everyone else does. Um, all I can do is, is try and outscore whoever is close to me, whether it is forward or back. Uh, but it's always forward, man. We, we always want to win every single weekend, every, every single race that we go to. The goal is always to win. You know, it's, uh, honestly, it's pretty much impossible in IndyCar because of just how competitive it is. But we'll see. The kid's got a lot of wins left in him. Pato Award, driver Errol McLaren, SP Racing. Congratulations, and thank you for joining us today on Pit Pass Indy. Thank you. And that puts a checkered flag on this edition of Pit Pass Indy. We want to thank Big Machine Music City Grand Prix winner Marcus Erickson of Chip Ganassi Racing, six-time NTT IndyCar Series champion Scott Dixon of Chip Ganassi Racing, and Pato Award of Errol McLaren SP Racing for joining us on today's podcast. Along with loyal listeners like you, our guests help make Pit Pass Indy your path to victory lane for all things IndyCar. For more IndyCar coverage, follow me at Twitter at Bruce Martin, one word, uppercase B, uppercase M, underscore 500. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thanks to our production team. Executive producers are Bridget Coyne and Gerardo Orlando. 
Recordings and edits were done by me, Bruce Martin, and final mixing was done by Dave Douglas. Learn more at evergreenpodcast.com. Until next time, be sure to keep it out of the wall.